Well, uh, as Charles Dickens said, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Um, those two things kind of go together. When uh, Ron Dunn was living and he came here to preach at Graceway, he preached a message and in it he said, good and bad run on parallel tracks and they often arrive at the same time. Well, that's so true because while we were enjoying ministering to children and having a good time, we had some church family members going through some rough times and so I'm going to ask you to uh, pray for some people and uh, ask you to minister to them and also um, I think we're to the point that if you want to you can go stand with them or stand around them but uh, John Key his mother is I believe in her 90s and she was in an automobile accident just this past week and I understand on her way to church for the first time since all of the COVID stuff and we need to pray for John and pray for his mom and that situation and then um, Brother Steve Elkins is uh, facing open heart surgery coming up in July to replace a uh, leaky valve. And, um, you know, he's been not feeling well for months. And all of this is kind of coming together. And I'm glad that they finally have figured out that and are heading that way. And so pray for him. That's not anything anybody looks forward to. And his wife, Nancy, her mother passed away on Wednesday. And so, uh, thank the Lord she's in heaven. But at the same time, that's a hard, hard thing. We want to continue to pray for uh, Danny Hudler. Uh, he did pass his swallow test. And while he can't chew, he can eat some things that are uh, very soft or liquid. And so, we're grateful for that. But keep praying for him. Uh, Chuck Lewis has been having a lot of pain and he had some injections for that this past week and uh, it's going to take a while before they make him feel better but pray that they uh, work and then I think all of us when we think about Michael and Jody and Daniel and the trial the last couple of weeks um, we need to pray for them because uh, while that's one step in the right direction and certainly something that we want justice it also is uh, just a small part of the grief process and I can't imagine going through all of that and having to in a sense relive everything so pray for them and of course pray for Susan Hall as she has started her chemo treatments and we want to remember to uh, pray for her as well so as you can see this is kind of hard on our church family and people in our church family. And that doesn't even mention some of the burdens you carry. Some of the things that you haven't shared or you wouldn't want to share, but yet they are real. And you are carrying those things. And we want you to know we love you. And we want you to know we believe that God answers prayer. And I hear people talk about the power of prayer. I a little uncomfortable with that because I believe it's the power of God. It's not just the mystical, magical incantations that we might say. We are talking and communing with God and God answers our prayers. So let's have a word of prayer and let's pray for God to do some things for his glory. If you would like to go gather around some of these people that we have mentioned, please go ahead and do that. 
and uh, let them know that you're behind them, that you're standing with them, and that you care about them. And uh, also think about some things you can do to show the love of Christ to someone who is having a hard time, to someone who is going through some stormy seas. And uh, that can be people in the church, but also people outside of the church as well. Uh, It makes a big impact. Yes, and Bob Hooker has been diagnosed with uh, cancer, prostate cancer, and he's got to go through treatments. And so uh, please pray for him and uh, lift him up as well. I always had that nagging feeling there's somebody else. And so thank you for that reminder, okay? Are we ready to pray? Okay. Father, we're overwhelmed. As we think about people that we love, we think about people that mean so much to us, and yet there's so very little we can do. And I thank you, Lord, that you remember our frame, that we are dust. And I thank you that it's not in us, but in you, that we find the power, that we find the ability to come to a holy God and ask, Lord, that you might help, that you might comfort, and that you might heal our brothers and sisters in Christ, that you might bear our burdens, And that you might give us relief from the attack of the enemy, from the cares of life, from all of the things that would trouble us and weigh us down. We choose to look above all of those things and to look to you, Lord Jesus, where you sit on your throne at the right hand of God the Father. And thank you, O sympathetic and compassionate high priest, that you understand Thank you that you care. And thank you that you are able to see us through these things. And by the way, thank you that when we get to heaven, we'll never have a prayer request like this again. Praise your name. Now, would you work and work in power because you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? And you said it's according to the power that works in us which would be the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and that that would result in Jesus Christ receiving glory in His church. And that's all we really want, Lord. May Your name be praised and glorified. May Your people be blessed and feel Your love and the fellowship we have with one another. And we thank You for this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much. We are in the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 25. And uh, God, after he tells him to build an ark that we looked at last week, he tells him to build a table. A table for the showbread, some translations say. Some others say the bread of his presence. The Hebrew says... Uh, the bread of faces, because when people eat together, they're face to face. And it's interesting that there's something on the heart of God that we don't think about, and that is this idea of communion. And when we think of a table and we think of bread, we think maybe of a meal. And when you have somebody over for a meal, 
You uh, have them sit at the table. You sit across from them. You talk to them. You converse with them. You share what you have with them. And hopefully they leave happy and uh, feeling loved and also nourished. I hope, anyway, that your cooking is good enough to nourish them. And uh, it's a part of fellowship. And in the Bible, whenever you read about covenants, there's almost always, if not always, a meal involved in it. And Jesus was eating all of the time. When you read the book of Luke, Jesus is either coming from a meal, in a meal, or headed toward a meal, wasn't he? In fact, even communion, the Lord's Supper, Jesus did that in the context of a meal, sitting with his disciples. And on this table, you can see a uh, a rendition of what we think it might look like. You can see that there were um, vessels there for the drink offering. We think of the cup that Jesus offered. There's also bread there. They are piled up there. And uh, 12 loaves, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And it is uh, reminding us, again, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. There's a lot of symbolism in all of this, but we call it communion because somehow in the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ, we fellowship with God through the body and the blood of Jesus as we remember those things. It's a memorial to those things. And it also reminds us that we are together and we are one in Christ because no matter who we are, no matter what generation we come from, no matter what our economic background, no matter what our race or gender, we are all one in Christ. And the only thing that makes us one is the grace of God expressed through the body and the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And so as we uh, look in this passage and we look at the verses that we're going to read today, we uh, find that these things kind of point us in a direction that tells us that God has desired to fellowship with his people. Now, as much as we might say, I want to go to God, you would get no further than they did in the Tower of Babel. It's impossible for us to go to God. And so God solved the problem by coming to us. And the amazing thing that hit me as we were going through our Sunday school lesson is that God set the standard and then God met the standard because you and I could never do it. And so in this tabernacle, everything in it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would turn to Exodus 25 and we'll read verses 23 through 30, it gives a description of how they were to build uh, this table. Right after the Ark of the Covenant, they built the table. Verse 23. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Remember, that's that wood that grew in the desert that's practically indestructible. And it's supposed to be two cubits. A cubit's 18 inches or so. You do the math. I'm not going to. Two cubits shall be its length. A cubit its width. And... A cubit and a half its height. You know, it's interesting. The table was a little bit smaller than the ark, but it's the same height as the ark of the covenant. Verse 24. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. That sounds familiar. And make a molding of gold all around. Kind of a 
raised rim all around it so bread doesn't fall off or anything else. Verse 25, you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. And you shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me. How often? Always, always. We'll tell you why that's important in just a little bit. So uh, I want you to think of four words today as we look at this. Think of communion. Think of the word portable or portability. Think of the word availability. And then think of Jesus, priests, and you. Now these will be on the screen, so if you didn't get them uh, you, you'll get them later on. But that's what we're going to look at. That's what we're pulling out of this passage today as we think about these things. I want you to think about the word communion. To commune together can also be translated to fellowship together. And fellowship means to have something in common. We are fellow people on the same ship, in the same boat. Fellowship. And so when we fellowship, as Baptists, we tend to think of a casserole dish or a donut on one hand and a cup of coffee in the other. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with that, but our fellowship goes much, much deeper and greater than that. We have fellowship with one another. What is it that we have in common? Well, we certainly have our sin, and we certainly have an awful lot of failure and brokenness in our lives. But we also, as believers, we have a perfect Savior and the perfect sacrifice that is paid for our sins. And not only do we have the forgiveness of sins, but the moment you are saved, you enter into a relationship of fellowship with God. His Spirit comes to live within you and makes you spiritually alive. And Christ sets in the throne room of heaven as your advocate and as your sympathetic and understanding high priest. And nothing can break that fellowship that is a permanent relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer speaking of these things said, The blood-sprinkled mercy seat speaks of Christ as the basis of our fellowship with God, while the table points to Christ as the substance of that fellowship. We meet with God and we fellowship with God because we have something in common with God, and that is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His Son, our sacrifice, one in the same, it's Jesus, and that's what you have in common with God the Father today. 
Now, I said earlier that God desires communion or fellowship with his people. In fact, back in verse 22, after he describes how they build the Ark of the Covenant, he says, there I will meet with you. There I will meet with you. In fact, this has always been God's desire for him to meet with us. We can't go to him, but he comes to us. Even back in the Garden of Eden, what did God do during the cool of every day? He came and he fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. That fellowship was lost and it was broken when they sinned against God. But through Christ, it has now been renewed and you have the opportunity to meet with God to fellowship with God, not on the basis of your goodness, not on the basis of your works, not on the basis of how obedient you've been, but on the basis of how obedient Christ was and how Christ is our righteousness and what we have in common with God the Father. That's an amazing thing. And the table and the ark had some things in common. Both were the same height. And both were made of the same materials, acacia wood and gold. And both had something placed upon them, blood on the mercy seat of the ark and bread on the table. And communion, this tells us, is not possible unless a sacrifice is made. In other words, if you try to go to the table before you've gone to the ark, it's all going to be absolute futility. God demands that the only way we can sit at the table with him and fellowship with him is that we come through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And only then can we enter into communion or fellowship with God. And so many people in this world are trying to take a shortcut. They're trying to say, I have a relationship with God, but they deny Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. And who? No one. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. No one comes to the Father except through Him. That's communion. God is telling His people in the wilderness, I want to fellowship with humans that I have chosen and called out and it's going to be a very, very special thing. And that's God's desire even today. For us to meet with him through the sacrifice of Christ. And then continue in sweet communion with him. Not just when we have the Lord's Supper. But every day of every week. Fellowshipping with him. And walking with him. And he with us. It's really a beautiful and a wonderful thing. God has set a table for you, as Psalm 23 says, in the presence of your enemies where you can be nourished and where you can fellowship with God the Father. Number two, the word portability comes to mind. Put the rings after you build the table and overlay it with gold. Put these rings on it and then make some poles that are wood overlaid with gold, and the poles would slide into the rings. Does that sound familiar? Like the Ark of the Covenant. Why did God do that? Well, you remember they are in the wilderness. They're not stationary. They're going from place to place as God leads them. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. They're just not going on a whim, and they're not just stopping wherever it seems right. They're not just uh, camping out wherever it's most convenient. 
They're not just wandering aimlessly. They're being led, being led. And so when they leave, what do they do? They pack up their belongings. They pack up their tents, fold them up. But they also have to take the tabernacle. And so they're going to be taking it down, folding it up. And they've got to transport all of the uh, furnishings that are in the tabernacle. The ark and the table among them. And these things were made to be portable. Made to be moved. Made to be taken from place to place. Now why does that matter? And why would I bring that up? Because it's just a reminder to me, first of all, how sinful were the people of God in the wilderness? Pretty, pretty sinful. They were pretty awful. I mean, we're going to find out later on that while Moses is getting this instruction from God, what do the people down below say? Make us a God that we may follow. And the whole golden calf thing happened. I mean, they didn't make it very far without blowing it, did they? You know what I found out? My tendency is to say, I thank God that I am not as these are. But the truth of the matter, I am. The old hymn writer said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Boy, I'm about as uncontrollable sometimes as a cat. I'm sometimes as uncontrollable as a toddler. I wander off this way and that way, and I think I see something that I want. I think I've got a better way. How often does the Lord have to deal with me? And it didn't take long to go from a state of walking with God to going my own way can happen just about like that. It's the way the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Every time you turn around murmuring, complaining against God, rebelling against Moses, their authority, breaking the law of God willingly and knowingly, all of these kind of things. And yet, you know what happened? God said to them through the tabernacle, I'm with you. I'm with you. I won't forsake you. Because you're my people. I will discipline you. I'll deal with you. And the consequences of sin are going to be severe. For it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And nothing's changed about that, by the way. And so what is he saying here? Take the tabernacle and it'll go with you. And this table of communion will go with you like everything else was. So it's with the Lord's people wherever they went in the wilderness. It reminds me of Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why should I do that? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is where God lives. This building is not the sanctuary. You are the sanctuary. You are where God lives. You are where God dwells. And God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And Paul illustrated it by saying to the Corinthians, and we'll go to the worst example. He said, don't you know that when you join yourself to a prostitute, you are joining Christ? To that prostitute. You know what struck me one day? 
at the worst of our lives, when we're at the worst place we could be, doing the worst things we could do, the fact that the Corinthians could be joining Christ to a prostitute meant that even while they were committing fornication and adultery in a very gross and disgusting and immoral way, God was with them. And they were subjecting God to the worst of their lives. Teenagers, think about that next time you're on a date. Adults, think about that next time you lose your temper. Think about that whenever you're tempted to go places and to do things you know you ought not do. Everywhere you go, God goes with you. Now that can be a comforting thing. If I'm going through the storm, I like knowing that God is with me. If I'm going through the desert, I like knowing if God is with me. But if I'm going to do something that is secretive, if I'm going to do something I'm ashamed of, if I'm going to do something the, uh, the, that, that I ought not do and I have to do alone, the thought that God is with me ought to be terrifying to us. To know that He is there seeing, that He is there experiencing what we are doing because he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And the portability of this furniture was just a reminder. Wherever my people go, there I will be also. Either blessing them or bringing discipline upon them. Whatever the case may be. And both of them are done out of love. Now we said our third word was availability. The Bible says this bread that was put on there looks a little different than bread that we would make. They would make it more in round cakes and stack them up. And uh, what did he say? That bread is to be there always, always. Well, then the book of Leviticus, we get a little more information about this bread. Leviticus 24 5 through 7. You shall take the uh, fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. I have no idea. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. So the bread was something that was to be always there. And the bread was changed every Sabbath. What did they do with the old bread? And the Bible says that Aaron and his sons, Aaron was the first high priest, Aaron and his sons that they could eat of that bread. Not everybody got to eat of the bread, just the ones that God had anointed and God had chosen to eat of it. But you'll notice that the bread is always to be there. And that speaks to us of the fact that as children of God, the bread, the living bread, the nourishment that we need through Christ, the strength that we need to stand and to fight our battles, the strength that we need and the nourishment we need to cross our deserts, the, everything that we need to get from here to there is always available and it is always there and it is always found 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of this is telling us, available, available, available. And how many times as Christians do we live as though we had no resources? How many times do we live in our own strength, in our own power? I can do this. I can make it through. I've just got to gut it out. I've just got to press on through all of that. Well, you do. But have you noticed that if you're hungry, if your blood sugar is dropped, if you're malnourished, how weak you are? And you can have in your mind all of the positive thinking, all of the determination in the world. But if you hadn't eaten, you're not going to make it through the desert. You're going to collapse. If you don't have the nourishment and the strength, you're not going to have the muscles and the muscle tone to be able to bear burdens. And so this is telling us we need to quit trying to make it in our own strength, which really doesn't exist, but to always come to the bread of life because it is Christ who not only saves us, but he nourishes us and he sustains us through every trial, problem, and situation in life. And when we're about to falter, when we're about to fail, that's the time that we need to turn to the Lord. God never says in his word, when you get your act together, when you're feeling strong, when everything's going great, when you have power and strength and can really prove to me that you're worthy of my time, then you come to me. That's not how it works. And that's certainly not what it says. So remember that the bread on the table of communion, it is always there. And then number four, I ask you to think about Jesus priests and you because the bread speaks to us about Jesus Christ in John chapter 6 48 through 51 I quote Jesus I am the bread of life your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he's speaking of himself, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus is telling us that his flesh, his incarnation, coming, being born, living a perfect life, and then dying on the cross and being raised from the dead bodily, that all of that, that's the bread that he's talking about. Now, the Romans back then, they would hear Jesus say, you've got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they would hear Christians say at their communion, the Lord's Supper, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And Nero, wanting something to come against the Christians, said they're cannibals. And they'd come after them. On that basis because, you know, it takes a lot to make a Roman disgusted, but that was one thing that would. Jesus wasn't speaking of literally doing that. He was using bread as a symbol of his sacrifice. What he did for us. Through his death, yes, but also through his life. Paul said, 
If we are saved by his death, we are much more saved by his life. And his life before the cross, when he lived a perfect life pleasing God, and his life after the cross, when he rose and was glorified and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our advocate. The bread represents Jesus, who is always available, always with us, and the one who is the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible also talks about priests. When we read this, we might say, well, that's all well and good, but I'm not a priest. Hold on. Not so fast. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. So when the Bible tells us that this bread on the table was only for the priest, does that leave us out? No. Those of us who come through the Ark of the Covenant, in other words, through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, are invited by the Lord to the table to eat of the bread that he has prepared. And why do we do that? Because we are priests unto God. You don't need somebody to go to God for you. It's nice to have people pray for you, but you don't need that. You don't need somebody to do some kind of a ritual in order to make God look down upon you in favor. You have access to the throne room of God as you stand, child of God, because you are a priest of God. And the priest not only could go to God on behalf of the people, the priest also represented God to the people, and we are ambassadors to a lost and dying world, as well as we witness to one another of the gospel all the time. You've got a brother or sister in Christ who's faltering. You as a priest can go to them and bring them the word of God and bring them the hope of God and the truth of God, because that's the function that you have all that you may proclaim his excellence. He called you out of darkness into life. And this table prefigured the communion of the Lord's Supper that Paul calls even in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, the table of the Lord. He said, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So the Lord's Supper is very important because of what it specifies. It's the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament table of showbread, and yet they all represented and stood for the same thing this do in remembrance of me. And then I said, not only Jesus and the priesthood, but what about you? If this table is the table of communion or fellowship, then I want to call your attention to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you, when's the last time you had communion? I don't mean the Lord's Supper. That's a symbol. 
That's something that helps us. That's something God has commanded us to do. But it's not the extent of our communion. John said that the testimony of Christ coming and doing what he did is that so you and I as believers can fellowship, that we can commune, that we can be with the Lord all the time and at any time in any situation. The Bible tells us that he is with us always the veil, the kids sang about that in that first song, the veil is torn. I'm not sure they knew what that meant, but you ought to. The veil that separated the holy of holies from everyone else, torn from top to bottom, no longer necessary because all of us who trust Christ are priests unto God. And we can go before God. We can sit at the table and we're qualified to eat of the bread, which the bread is Christ which strengthens us. How long has it been since you had communion? You might call it a quiet time. You might call it a devotional. You might call it even praying without ceasing. Being God conscious. Being surrendered and submitted to Him every single day of your life and every moment of your life. Not just Sundays. Not just at the Lord's Supper. But always. That's what He has given you. And the Bible says that you can have that fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And our fellowship together is with God. Jesus even said in Matthew 28, uh, 11, 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Not the perfect, not the strong, not the ones who have it all together. Not the one who can check all the boxes on their envelope. You older people know what I mean by that. Speaking to the weak. He's speaking to the burdened. He's speaking to the overwhelmed. He's speaking to the people who can't handle it anymore. When you get to that point, you're actually in a good place. Doesn't feel like it, and the world won't think so. But that's the point where God meets you at the point of your brokenness. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what we call it sometimes? You say, how does rest correspond to eating bread with somebody? Have you ever heard of refreshments? What is a refreshment? Something that is supposed to refresh you. And it's when we come to Jesus at our weakest, at our worst, even as believers, wounded, we've stumbled, we've fallen, we're embarrassed, we're humiliated, we, we knew better. The devil is accusing us. The lion is roaring after us. So what do we do? We run to Jesus. You know what he says you'll find? Rest or refreshment for your soul. Sit down, child. Have some bread. Feast on me. I'm your sacrifice. And I'm the one who sustains you. And we go back to an ancient time in the wilderness where God is telling them, I want you to build a tabernacle. And the first thing you build is an ark 
which represents the sacrifice needed for our sins that Christ paid for on the cross. And then we have the table of the presence. We have the table of the showbread where we can have communion with God because Jesus is resurrected from the dead and his spirit lives within us. And the Lord says to you today, welcome, welcome. Come fellowship with me around the table. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, I've got good news. God is a loving God who is willing to save sinners. But I've got some bad news as well, because you can't stop there. Sin separates us from God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now the news gets worse because the Bible says that sinners go to hell. The Bible says that sinners go to hell for eternity. But if we left it right there, we'd be in despair. But can I give you the best news? The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, that's the best news. God saves sinners. God redeems sinners. Christ paid the penalty for sinners like you and like me. And if you've never trusted him, I invite you to trust him today and to surrender to him as Lord of your life. To trust in the death, burial, and resurrection as the full payment for your sin. And I hope if you do that, you'll let us know. Let us know. We'd like to help you and submit to believers' baptism and become a part of the fellowship of our church. Well, what about for Christians? Has that story just become an old, dusty, dry, meaningless story? Something that's in the archives of your past? Or is the gospel fresh and up-to-date and on your mind and nourishing you Every single day as you walk through the battleground that we call life. And so today, the invitation is simply this. Whoever you are, whatever you find yourself in, come to Him. Come to Him and be nourished on the bread that is on the table of communion for you. Because that bread is Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about all of this and we think about these symbolisms, don't let us run too quickly past them. But let us see Jesus. And let us think about what a holy God has done. Because you, God, for some inexplicable reason other than your love, you have desired fellowship with sinners like us. And not only do you desire it, but you set the standard, and then you go and you meet the standard for us. Hallelujah, what a Savior, what a mighty God. Thank you. And forgive us when we try to go in our own strength and in our own way. And may we run to you to find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much.